Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, by my good friends Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Uh, gentlemen, we have uh, we have the privilege of welcoming a new sponsor on board this week. Pipe, you are really the, the Michael Jordan of reading sponsorship promos. Uh, I have tried to do this in the past. I have failed miserably. Uh, so I'm, I'm delegating this to you uh, in perpetuity. So why don't you tell us about... Uh, Moody Publishers, a publishing house that I know well. And before uh, you start, Pipe, I, I don't know about you, Ted, but after that last, uh, after that last sponsorship thing that Pipe did last time, I'm yeah. literally excited to hear what's gonna. gonna Ronnie, take I was place in awe. You know, I, I I drove home. I didn't listen to the radio, and I just thought about what I had heard. You know, I just I just kind of let it sink in, uh, in the way that you do after uh, after a great. Um, you know, I've had a hard time even carrying on some conversations I've had the past week because that just keeps just cycling over and over in my now head. Now tell me, as a pastor, did you use that as kind of a context for like framing up counseling sessions and just how you engage? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I used it for two counseling sessions. I used it as like an illustration on the front and back end of my sermon on as Sunday. I mean, it's it's just – it's been – it's just been flabbergastingly amazing for me. I mean, I've used last. it in each of my college courses as well, and I thought oh, yeah. it's really appreciated. So now that we've built this thing up, let's uh, <laughs> let's have Pipe. Uh, this is Barnabas Piper on Moody Publishers. And I will say before I jump into this sponsorship that since you guys are co-hosts on this, you have permission to rip the audio and use it uh, in any context. So um, <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can just play the audio if you want people to get saved, Ronnie. I think my life just changed. I, I hope so. I hope, I hope Ronnie, so. Ronnie, I've got a new book for us, baby. Promo Evangelism. Oh, my gosh. It's the two-word title. It's punchy. I've already got two chapters in my it's head. It's short. Already. I've already got T-shirts and uh, and, and bookmarks, <laughs> action figures. Excellent. It's gonna be huge. Well, all right, if, hit it, pipe. If uh, if the last promo changed your life, uh, what else will change your life is this book from Moody Publishers called Disappearing Church by Mark Sayers. So the full title is Disappearing Church from Cultural Relevance to Gospel Resilience, and uh, I have read this book twice already. And it only came out at the beginning of this month. I, they, they sent me a copy in advance. And it's phenomenal. It is an amazing book. Mark Sayers has written a couple other books, um, both of which were excellent. The most recent was called Facing Leviathan. It's sort of a leadership book. Um, I wrote a blog about this one at the Blazing Center uh, the, the, where we host this, uh, this podcast. And so you can find out some more thoughts there. But just the gist of the book is that Mark has the rare ability to take – History, sociology, theology, missiology, sort of all of these cultural and biblical things and weave them into a single uh, thread that explains kind of how the church got to where it is culturally and where it needs to go to to effectively connect with culture. So he, he the main question he's looking at is how far can relevance take us? This idea that we need to be culturally relevant in the church. Uh, is relevance going to stop cultural decline? And then is relevance the thing that's going to help us engage a culture that that doesn't even believe in God? The only God that culture sees is the self. Uh, so what he pushes for in this book is the idea that the church has been at its healthiest and most effective when it is a creative minority instead of a cultural majority. Um, and relevance, cultural relevance, is trying to be the majority in culture, trying to be the thing that everybody wants instead of this sort of underground group that's effectively presenting the gospel in meaningful ways. Uh, he's a brilliant writer. It's a really engaging book, so it's not. this is not sort of an academic look, even though I used all those ology words. Um, 
he's a very gracious writer. So when he offers correctives, he's not criticizing what is, but rather presenting a better way. And I would say this is a book that's every pastor should read it. Every Christian educator should read it. And then any Christian who's just trying to figure out how, how do I present my faith to my neighbor well should look at this. So again, the title is Disappearing Church. It's from Moody Publishers. It's available now. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Lifeway. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, Go there. The author's name is Mark Sayers. Uh, He's brilliant, and you should definitely buy this book. Hey, you know what? That was brilliant. I'm clapping. You just can't hear it right now. Again, Piper, for another amazing uh, promotion job. But you know what? Everybody's talking about that book right now. There's a lot of hype surrounding it. Are you – does this – have you moved into being serious? Yeah, I'm serious okay. right now. Yeah, no, I've I've been hearing a lot of guys like a lot of guys have been like you know like you they've been blogging about it they've been tweeting about it I, I've just been hearing a lot about this book so I mean you really, you actually really piqued my interest on it you know which was already I was and already if, thinking if, about it. So. If you want a little subtle, one more thing to like about this is that Mark Sayers is not a self promoter. You will mm-hmm. if you go into his Twitter feed and you follow him, he is. He does not promote himself and his work. He genuinely cares about the message. He's a pastor of a church in Australia. That's his context. Uh, he's nice. He's a really, really There's, good guy from a distance, I say this. I've never actually met him. But just the way that he handles the message and everything, uh, This he backs up what he, what he writes. And his writing is tremendous. He's one of the best out there that I've run across. I mean, do you see this as being kind of one of the classics of our time? Um, I think it could be. I would. I would put it on on par with like an Andy Crouch book, like uh, Culture Making. Mm. I don't know if you read that one. The, these books that they might not they might not ever be a super bestseller, just because it's not you know it's not Tim Keller who wrote it. But the quality uh, of the writing and the thought level and the impact it has on the readers will be will be formative. Ronnie, can I can I be honest with you for a minute, man? Yeah, please do. No, please lie. Yeah, as uh, <laughs> as Pipe was reading that promo, you know, you know the sorts of uh, heartstring tugging, like lifetime esque movies that you and I watch, where there's always like a female character, and she always goes like, "I, I wish my husband would look at me like that." You know what yes. I mean? Yes. My my thought, Bigar, was, I wish Piper would talk about one of my books like that. You know oh, what I mean? absolutely. I you know, oh, I was going to say that, true. Big T, because I knew you probably would on the back end. But I yeah. let me just confess now that I feel the exact same way. Yeah, I know, man. I, I just yeah, I felt this deep sense of I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he's talking about someone in that way. But I wish it was me. You know. You know, maybe someday that'll happen on our broadcast. Like maybe our one of your publishers will pay us money. Yeah, dude. Maybe I would take out my own sponsorship on my own program just to have that happen. It's, it's yeah, I'll go in. Ha- I'll go in halves with you to take out our own sponsorship <laughs> to pay Barnabas to promo our book that's going to be coming out on Waterbrook Multnomah this July. Dude, I love it. I think that's a slam dunk, man. I, I will promo your books book for free, <laughs> and you Dude, don't need to take you don't need to take out any loan. Although, if Waterbrook Multnomah wants to pay us money, which would be odd because they're already probably paying you a little something to write this book, I'm yeah. happy to do it. You know wow. what? I just surprise us. Like one one of these episodes in in you know in coming weeks, just drop it on us like kind of out of nowhere. Would you do that? Uh, could could I see the book first? No, no. Like no. You, no. You, just use Google one it. Of our old books. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Or we'll just send you the introduction. Of, you, you'll be you'll be good. I'm all right, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys, believe it or not, we have other things to talk about besides just book promos. Which I I feel like we could have a spinoff program just on that. Uh, in the way that like all of our favorite '80s uh, sitcoms had spinoffs, we could uh, we could do one that was just book promos. But uh, but pipe, I actually want to 
I want to push back on uh, on something that you tweeted hmm. recently, and keeping in mind that uh, I check Twitter religiously once every two weeks or so. That's about uh, how that's about how often most religious people go to church, so that's fitting. <laughs> exactly, and I, I check it through the gut check uh, the gut check podcast account, and you tweeted something. Uh, which I'm going to read right now. You tweeted this. Cam Newton, uh, who if you don't know, Cam Newton's the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, going to be playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. And Thanks when Ted, for clearing that up. I was going to say, and when too. Ted said, if you don't know, he was speaking directly to Ronnie. Yeah, Ronnie, he plays a sport. He's a sports player. So he's right. on. So hold on. He plays for the Panthers, or he's a Panther that like likes to play with other kitty cats. I mean, what are we talking about? He Here. plays for a team that's called the Panthers. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, and Pipe tweeted this about, about our boy Cam Newton. He said, Cam Newton is a controversial figure to those who hate fun, change, and cultures other than their own. Otherwise, he's pretty awesome. So Pipe was basically insinuating that you're a racist, a curmudgeon, and an enemy of fun if you don't like Cam Newton. And I, I was really conflicted by this because I really love Pipe. I think he's a, a, a really smart guy. Um, but I can't stand Cam Newton. Uh, so I tweeted back, which I almost never do, and I said, uh, I, said I, I find him insufferable and we should, uh, we should rant about this. Um, because it's rare, guys, really, that we have like a, a true point of disagreement on this program. Is it yeah. not? Yeah, it's true. Normally we have to contrive our disagreement because Steven's gone and he was the one who always said absurd things. He always created the awkwardness and the disagreement on the air. But uh, so Cam Newton, though, Ronnie, just to, to bring you up to speed, he's this uh, kind of cultural lightning rod in that uh, he's an African-American quarterback. He's really brash. Uh, he celebrates all the time on the field, and he's really uh, kind of divisive. People either love him or hate him. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I think in the way that the mistake that we always make with athletes, I think, is that we imbue them with more sort of cultural currency than they really deserve, i.e., you know, liking Cam Newton or disliking Cam Newton or Muhammad Ali or whoever the athlete was mm-hmm. kind of says something about you culturally. Um, and I think that's sort of the that's the space that Cam Newton finds himself in um, in, in this case. Um, well, I'm fascinated. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it's really kind of an interesting thing. So, Pipe, I want to hear you kind of suss out what you uh, what you meant by that tweet. Um, so I, I tweeted something shortly before that that said something something along the lines of people who dislike Cam Newton are the same people who don't like bat flips in baseball. Um, okay. And so that is uh, that's less of a uh, sort of sneaky sneaky insult of those for being racist and more just yeah. a there are just people who don't like new ways of doing things. Sure. Uh, they don't like <clears throat> they don't like changes. They don't like the fact that I mean this is the same crowd who their favorite phrase when somebody celebrates after a touchdown is act like you've been there before. Sure, um, sure. And, and to be fair, I probably am, am a part of that crowd maybe. Although there there have been celebrating guys who I've liked. I think with with Newton and let me be clear, like I love watching him play the game. Like I think what he's brought to the quarterback position is revolutionary. Um, well, it's one you know, of a kind for sure. I don't think he's going to be duplicated anytime soon. He's not going to be duplicated. He's a freak. I mean, he's really fun to watch. But I think what makes him distasteful for me is just the the constancy of the celebrating, the sort of um, – I don't know. He, he th- There's a rampant self-consciousness with Cam Newton. If you've watched any of his media this week with the Super Bowl, like he just seems so – aware of the fact that the spotlight is on him such that he's almost a caricature of himself as well as being a caricature of like every sort of brash obnoxious athlete who's ever come before him like Ted Uh let me interject yeah back here like are you somebody 
that typically dislikes those types of antics in pro football? Dude, I, I think I am in general, to be honest. I, I'm not a – and you know what, guys? I hated Tim Tebow Tebowing. Like if, if my kid were to score a touchdown and dab – which is Cam Newton's celebration thing, or if he would, if he were to score a touchdown in Tebow, he would be grounded for six months either way. You know, <laughs> see, and I would and, and here's with him either way. Here's my hypocrisy: yeah. I would also ground your son for Tebowing, <laughs> and I yeah. would high five him if he went out there and dabbed after scoring a touchdown. Dude, really? Now uh, flesh that out, man. That's fascinating to me. I want to, I want to know where that's coming from. I, 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 I just don't understand it. Uh, well, part of it's just my jadedness against. Christians attaching themselves to things and deciding that Tebow is Jesus Jr. Um, oh, and I'm completely jaded in the same way. So, so that that is why Tebow is out for me. But mm-hmm. in terms of celebrating and and all that, like I will say this: I do not watch the majority of Cam Newton's football games. But right. and so there there might be a quantity issue here. I just haven't seen yeah. enough to be super annoyed with him. Yeah, but I just to me a player's persona on the field is. Um, it's it is it's not a lightning rod issue. They can be annoying. Yeah. You can find something annoying. I find lots of athletes annoying. You know, there's. Yeah. We, I think we we did an episode way back towards the beginning of like name an athlete you just want to punch kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, but I just the I was responding more to like what people keep wanting to call the culture like a cultural controversy. I'm like he's yeah he's not a controversial figure. He may be annoying to people, and I get that, especially because yeah. if yeah. if somebody is beating your football team and they're celebrating, that's like double annoying. Right. But uh, I I just don't see the cultural conflict, and I I definitely don't get the people who get on their high horses and are like this is bad for the game and disrespecting blah blah. blah. I'm like no, you know what disrespects the game? Not trying. Not That's practicing true. and not being good, and he yeah. does all of those things, and he plays his heart out, and he, you know, he does. Th- yeah. So that's what I look at, and I'm like, if if he was a slacker who didn't who took plays off and still did this stuff, I might have an issue with it. No, you're isn't right. You there, make a good point, man. Isn't there kind? Of, let me ask this, man. Let me interject in, with this: is that I thought there was some sort of like, isn't it kind of like a faux pas? Like, isn't there some sort of penalty that you get for going too nutty after you? score a touchdown dude there isn't and he doesn't go nutty it's just it's a quantity thing it's, with him and so it's like, like a, after, it's a it's a posing thing what he yeah. it is con- like like ted said earlier he knows he's in the spotlight so he's always sort of striking a pose or something it's so he just after, loves like, every, his own celebrity he loves it dude yeah he loves it and after every like positive play that he makes he's doing something some kind of pose some kind of gesture and yeah i think i think the aggregate effect of that is just for me one of like Really high grade annoyance, and, and the question I ask: Does Rob is, Gronkowski drive you nuts, dude? He doesn't, you know, because I think he's just a big, you know, he's like a golden retriever. You know, if you're if your golden retriever does something stupid, you just kind of roll your eyes and go, "He's just a big." You're dumb talking animal. about the you same know? Rob Gronkowski who like gives people lap dances on Good Morning America. That golden retriever, yeah, but dude, that that. It doesn't bother me because I don't watch Good Morning America. You what know about, what I mean? What about Aaron Rodgers and the whole like heavyweight belt discount double check thing that he does after every big play and it makes me want to choke him? Now, Dude, yeah, granted, that was kind of dumb. I, I agree with that. That's purely a rivalry thing. I just can't stand the Packers. But uh, No, I agree, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I, I think, you know, my question was how would I feel about the NFL if everybody in the NFL acted like Cam Newton? So if this thing caught fire and the, just this – 
this attitude, this way of being, if everybody in the NFL acted like that, it would it would truly be unwatchable. But you here's, know? here's be, the thing, like that that will always self-regulate because so yeah. there's a former safety named Brian Clark who's now a commentator, and he was talking about you know there was a comparison, and he's like, you know what, you want to know why Tom Brady doesn't dance and and all that stuff because he can't dance, whereas yeah. Cam yeah. Newton knows he looks cool doing it, so he does it, and so these things self-regulate because like fat linemen. They're not mm-hmm. gonna. They're not gonna do this stuff. Slow sure. wide receivers are not going to. The best playmakers will, and occasionally those super arrogant other players. But those guys will get knocked out if because if you can't back it up, That's the true. only guys That's who can true. get away with this are the best players. Yeah, but isn't it part of the branding though? I mean, like you know, when you think back on Tebow, I mean, the reason why that guy's career lasted even as long as it did was because he created a branding for himself. Is that what this guy's trying to do? Yeah, and I think what made it even more distasteful for Tebow was that the brand was kind of conflated somehow with religion, and it and it really got weird. Well, um, it crossed and it, over and it into wasn't, the evangelical world, and it yeah. wasn't yeah. backed up by good football play. Like he was a, even at his best, he was just a lucky son of a gun. He just wasn't that good. And I realize some people will be very offended. I said that. Whereas Cam yeah. Newton is is possibly the most dominant quarterback in the NFL right now. Tebow was a great dominant college quarterback. I mean, Col- no, I, yes, I know, in college, I know you that's know true. That. I know you know. That I was for purely sure, speaking of his time in the NFL. Yeah. Well, well, guys, let's uh, let's use this to segue into another kind of bloated, ridiculous parody of itself, cultural institution, and that is the Super Bowl. Um, we are uh, right on right on the edge here of Super Bowl Fifty. Uh, by the time this uh, episode airs, it will be in the books, and uh, all the dust will have settled. and And I just want to set the scene for you with one thing, and then I'll let you guys riff on this. So. Um, I'm teaching a, a reporting class this semester and, uh, I played for my class like six and a half minutes of, um, they used to call it NFL, uh, Super Bowl media day. Now they call it opening night. And let me, let me just set the scene. There was a mock golden gate bridge. The game is in San Francisco. So there was this like rendering of the golden gate bridge in the stadium, um, lights, pyro reporters, um, all this sort of like epic, uh, you know, movie music playing in the background. And then the, the players sort of parading in over this mock bridge and then taking their, uh, their, their seats to be adored by the media. And, um, I felt the same way watching the NFL draft this last year, Barnabas with the, mm-hmm. the bigger than life size, uh, images of the kids, you know, walking across the stage and stuff. And I just thought, what a gong show, you know, what a, <laughs> if only we could gong them off. If only we could gong the whole thing off. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and as anyone who listens to this program knows, I love football so much. I have such a high regard for it. Um, I love the games. I love the players. Uh, but, but yeah, this institution, man, it, it, and it really, it really was driven home to me a couple years ago when um, it was like the third quarter of the Ravens-Saints Super Bowl. Or no, the Ravens, uh, Ravens 49ers Super Bowl in New Orleans. And I clicked away to watch Downton Abbey. Uh, I was just so kind of overwhelmed by the, the which, thanks for bringing me back into the conversation, which could not See, be more that. antithetical to to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, they, they could not be more antithetical. I found to the, the one Bowl. thing on television that was the opposite of the Super Bowl, and I watched that. And Ted, uh, you're just you're a guy that struggles with pageantry, aren't you, dude? I am. I I, I, I don't struggle entirely with pageantry. I'm okay with a little well, bit of it. You know, you know what I really liked as a kid was. The Super Bowl is the only game they would do this. They would introduce the players, and they would like run out of the tunnel individually. And I thought that was so cool, uh, like in the '80s and the '90s and those Super Bowls, and they would do it. But mm-hmm. now it's just become such this like 
overproduced, like six and a half hours. Every washed up, you know, yeah. palatable like radio rock music artist is is on there performing live, and it's just a mess. It, it has nothing to do with the game anymore, practically speaking. Practically speaking, it really is not about the game. And the only reason why I know that is, believe it or not. Now wait for this, guys. Hold on to whatever you're sitting around right now. Yeah. Like I've hosted many a Super Bowl party, and I, I can believe tell that, you. Yeah, I can tell you, man, that I, I've hosted these parties, and I don't even know if I even watch a total of like 57 seconds of the game. But I guarantee sure. you tune into the commercials. Absolutely. I tune into the food, too. I mean, yeah. so I'm, I'm tuned Dude, into it's, food, it's a commercials, cultural event, man. and hanging out. Yeah. And, and, cultural and, event. and I think that aspect of it is fantastic. The fact that there is an event that's – it's a football game, and so for those of us who love football, we can lock in on the game. But for those who just don't really care, like, say, Ronnie, it's still a great excuse to get together with a whole bunch of people and eat a bunch of, you know, usually really good food and hang out for three hours. I mean, it's got it's got a beginning and an end. And like, it's just it is a great sort it's a great of day. Par- party atmosphere. It's a great um, day. And I think that's great. But all of the all the what you call pageantry, Ronnie, like I think pageantry and sports go together really well. But just like any performance art. It has to be done tastefully, you know. There's, yes. and 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 there's instances of when it's been done really, really well, and when it's not, you know. Like some of the stuff. So think back to like how the Yankees hosted stuff after 9/11 happened, and you don't have to be a baseball fan to remember some of this in terms of in terms of the patriotic stuff and hosting of of, of different things. That's pageantry, but it's tastefully done in a way that's specific to respecting something, you know, or honoring someone. No one gets honored in this in this NFL stuff. It's just loud and obnoxious. It's bombastic. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. bombastic, and they're lo- yeah they're looking for it to be as loud and as bright and as over the top. I mean, literally, what they're trying to do is serve the lowest common denominator and do it in a way that it doesn't matter if anyone thinks it's great. It's just everybody will be talking about it, and that's yes. On Monday, everybody's going to be talking about it. Doesn't matter who the halftime guest is. I mean, all of that really is secondary to the event as a spectacle. And and in I mean, fact, I'm pretty sure they do not care if their halftime artist is the worst ever. It just what, is irrelevant. It, what irrelevant. Is their halftime artist is usually the worst ever. What they want is people <laughs> tweeting about it. Like I, who last year, I and it's funny that I remember this. I remember it because of Twitter. It was Katy Perry, and she like came riding in on a lion or something like that. But it was like a nine story tall lion and stuff like that. And and. Uh, and it's just like that stuff is it, that has nothing to do with football. It is it is purely to get people talk and nothing to do with the quality. I, that what you just said, Ronnie, is exactly right. I wish that they would say what is the best way to do this, not what is the biggest way to do this. Yeah, and biggest me, equates to best. I mean, and that you know we're talking about that. There's it's that it really is the one time of the year on um, you know national television that the average viewer can. Um, can be treated to something that that is literally unlike anything else that that goes on primetime. You know what I mean? And yeah, so, I mean, yeah, and I, it's I something think that, that everyone can talk about. You know, like absolutely. everyone is invited. I mean, it's, it's a water it's a water cooler thing for Monday. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, and when you think about, I mean, you know, Katy Perry. I mean, she was literally like flying out of the stadium on her closing song last year with like wings, and you're just going like, how do they even do that? Like, what kind of production like goes into? sort of the uh you know the 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 making and the execution of this it's like from that level i just kind of sit back and i go well i mean i i love thinking about just like 
kind of the technicality surrounding it because it's insane. Yeah. It's, it's a major insanity for sure. Yeah. And for me, there's real like sad sort of Tower of Babel connotations with it where everybody's oh, just screaming, this is huge. This is huge. This matters. This matters. And, and deep down you're going like, it just makes me sadder somehow. It feels <laughs> empty. True. Yeah. There's an emptiness to it for sure. There is an emptiness yeah. for sure. And I, my favorite thing, a, a couple of the, the novels that I really love have sort of satirized this. Uh, uh, Barnabas, have you read Infinite Jest, David Foster Wallace? I haven't. It just turned 20, didn't it? I, yeah. I think that was he has like a, this year. He has a thing. He writes about the future, and it's this sort of undisclosed post-2000s kind of future. But, uh, but in, in his construct, um, the teams enter the arena for the, for the Super Bowl uh, in ways that are commensurate with their mascot. Uh, for example, if you play for the Cardinals, you fly, uh, you, you have wings and you get dropped out of an airplane and you have to sort of glide down into the stadium. <laughs> and um, it's obviously just a commentary on this like ridiculous over the top. But that doesn't sound, that doesn't even sound ridiculous. No, like you, know what, really does, you know what that sounds, sounds like? like? Okay. It sounds you like know, something sounds- that came up at, uh, at an NFL marketing planning meeting. Hey, Dude, right. can you, yeah. like, what if we tried team themed entrances like how cool would that be like the vikings can actually like we can flood the stadium and they can go in on a ship and they can they can literally hack people to pieces with their <laughs> swords it'll be amazing television like, ben roethlisberger will climb out of like a like a steel like kiln you know like yeah, one of they, they will pour molten metal on the field and then exactly. and then come in after it cools like just walk in on it right and we laugh but this 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 will happen in our kids yes, life it's I'm going sure. to happen yeah yeah the Giants are kind of out to luck because out of luck is like, well, they're they're just big. <laughs> yeah. What do you do with that? You know, um, the 40. Jets. I guess everyone could just fly in in their own their own aircraft and guys. Land. It really is endless. I mean, even even yeah. Giants. You know, they can construct some you know, right. animatronic. You know, the uh, the Forty ers can go starve in the desert. <laughs> I love it. Man. That's inspirational. That'll get the fan base excited. <laughs> Oh, you guys, we should uh, really what we ought to be doing about this rather than just, you know, kind of verbally berating it is that we should write uh, a think piece about it. And uh, our next topic is about the topic of think pieces, which just seems to be a sort of uh, modern take on the op-ed or the editorial. But people sort of uh, feel better about themselves and call it a think piece. Um, This is a phenomenon that, uh, that Barnabas brought to our attention because I think he's He's kind of on the internet for a living. And uh, I'm exactly. familiar with the term think piece from the movie Almost Famous, Cameron Crowe film, great film about uh, rock journalism in which the Lester Banks character um, tells William Miller, the young kid, that he should write a think piece, uh, which is basically a, a funny sort of BS way of saying um, you don't have the interview that you need, so you're going to have to like, you know, just spin out a bunch of your own opinions. Um, what do you guys think about this uh, this think piece phenomenon, man? Is this a bubble that's going to burst? Has it already burst? What's the what's the deal with think pieces? Well, it certainly ha- is not a bubble that has burst because they, you know, anytime there is an issue, you it doesn't even have to be a real issue, it, a, a perceived yeah. issue of uh, of controversy, they pop up. And you know, you, you made the point that it's it's like a new take on the op-ed or the editorial, but I feel like that's an insult to the op-ed or the editorial because I feel like <laughs> yeah. those those were at one point assumed to be informed opinions. Sure. And the think piece, like that's a pejorative term used for these sort of like clever, witty, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a definitive statement using only my opinions and the data that supports them. Yeah. And, Dude. It, and it could be about anything. 
Let me let me ask you this question, man. Even like a, I think a step bigger than the think piece. Like, is cleverness just going to jump the shark? Are we sick of it? I think I am, man. I just want earnestness anymore. You know what I mean? And I'm sick of my own cleverness. Truly, um, I'm tired of trying to be clever. I think our generation has kind of worn that out almost. I, yeah, I I think it's I think that's probably true. I mean, I think I think at some point along the way we lost true wit. Mm. because wit takes a certain amount of knowledge and being like reference points. Like you can make a, a, a veiled reference to something else and it's really witty, but only people mm-hmm. who understand pick up on it. And cleverness is just kind of being quick and being sarcastic, which are two right. things that come fairly naturally to me. And yeah, and it is, it feels very hollow when that's what you, that when that's the, uh, the space you reside in. Yeah. And I think there's just so much of it. Big R, what's your, uh, what's your take on all this? Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's it's it just seems like it kind of has come to fruition, you know, sort of in you know the you know blogosphere culture and yeah, I mean the yeah, being, feel I think there's a pressure to feel like you need to be clever and witty and um, but I think what it turns into, I think the ugly side of cleverness is cynicism, and I think that's what it turns into. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has. I, I think the only place cleverness has to go is is into cynicism. And um, so I think that's what, to me, we're seeing more of than even just cleverness right now. And I, and I just think cynicism is not it's, – it's neither clever nor witty most of the time. Um, so, but I'm with, uh, I'm with Piper. I mean something that is truly um, – something that is truly clever or truly witty and it takes a lot of thought and there is a lot of intentionality – behind um you know trying to sort of evaluate something and then make you know make counterpoints based on you know you know using humor all those types of things i mean that's to me that's a that's a if somebody can execute that well that's that's brilliant you know but i think now yeah we're just uh we're verging into cynicism and i just think that's when cleverness jumps the shark is when it turns into cynicism and i think where we see that a lot is the fact that so many of these these so-called think pieces are about things that are just inane you know yeah. somebody wrote an, a 900 word think piece on like somebody's dress at the oscars or something mm. or the halftime show of the super bowl as as we were just talking about i mean those like, just these things that you're like wait that was the thing that you that caught your attention and you devoted your ire to it and you put your the best of your your satirical i shouldn't say satirical because usually it's just it's just sarcastic um that that was the thing that you decided to attack and you know put the sharp end of your sword toward i don't even it, <laughs> it's it's one thing to write a well-reasoned opinion piece about something of significance. It's yeah. another thing to to just come up with this clever hot take on so-and-so's apparel at the Oscars or the opening monologue or the halftime show of the Super Bowl or Macklemore's latest song, White Privilege, or whatever. Like Those things are just – you just kind of shrug and go like, that's – I guess the question is why are people like there's an audience for that, right? So things are being written because people will read them. I think it's it's like the it's like the the I don't want to say literary, but pseudo literary version of what we were just talking about with the Super Bowl halftime show or the Super Bowl spectacle, where it's just more is better. You have to have a take on something. I feel yeah, and you and you don't is the thing, you know. And and I guess that would be my message to like to people. You know, just just don't have a take. Let not having a take be your take. How about that? 
write about how you don't have a take. So no, just anything. don't write anything. Actually, <laughs> oh, but just no, but don't don't oh. write about what you're not writing about. Yeah. Yeah. Ronnie has hit the nail on the head, though. Like that is a genre. Why I'm not watching X? Why oh, I didn't? Absolutely. Why it's I didn't see genre. Star Wars or whatever? Basically, yeah, know? why I'm too good for this one particular thing. And right? yeah. I and and so here's this. This becomes very inceptionist, inceptionary, yeah. inception esque. It does really quickly because I almost wrote a blog post recently about the people writing about what they're not watching. So I would have been like layer three of this. It's almost, it's like going back to that Starbucks cup thing where it was like the people who criticize the cups, then the people who criticize the critics, then the people who criticize the critics who criticize the critics. This is going to be the same way because it was a, it was a borderline think piece about the people writing think pieces about the people who like something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, it's madness, man. It'll make your head explode. I know. I'm, really- I'm dizzy right now just trying to say that out loud. Guys, can I, can we end with something that I wanted to talk about during our Super Bowl discussion, but I actually uh, I actually forgot and I let the moment pass. Um, I'd like to wrap with uh, our, our favorite Super Bowl moments. Ooh. Do you guys have a favorite uh, a favorite Super Bowl moment? It could be just cultural. It could be a part of a, a game that took place. Um, I'm curious. By favorite, do you mean most memorable or something we really enjoyed? I think the latter. Something you really okay. enjoyed. Hmm. Yeah, so for me it was uh, 2000, I think eight when we just barbecued like racks and racks of like barbecued ribs. That was my favorite, mm-hmm. I think, Super Bowl moment <laughs> over the past like seven years. Fittingly, do you remember so. even remotely who was in the game, Bigar? Who played? I, in the game? Big T, come on, man. Have we? I mean, are we friends? Have we met before? Do I need Maybe to introduce my? All right, we're such good friends. Was it? Uh, <laughs> was it the Miami Sharks? Was it Willie Beeman? It was. It, it was <laughs> that it was, was a great game. It was Jamie. It was Jamie Fox. I think yeah. he was the quarterback, and he got a little nauseous. He typically gets a little nauseous before the games. I don't know if you remember that big T, but he, he uh, came in for Tyler Cherubini, who had forgot his helmet. Yeah, right? and then he was doing the RX commercial. You know, during yeah, that time. Yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. And then he then he made the music video, and it all just got crazy for me. Oh, it got crazy. And then I, I don't know if you remember his his head coach was a guy named Al Pacino, and it absolutely, was, uh, yeah. They were man. They were not. I mean, they were not. They just were. Their heads were not together during. That they weren't game. on the same page, were they? Big they were not. No. You and then at and some that was point, a problem. at some point, it came together. It came together yeah. for Al and Jamie. It did. And Cap Rooney had to come off the bench and uh, and make some magic. Really, you the know, Cap. But that Rooney, was probably the moment for me right there, Big T, when Cap Rooney came off the bench and made the. Ma- I mean, that's it right there for me, dude. Honestly, this Super Bowl is really Cap Rooney versus Willie Beeman, if you think about it. It's the young, brash, celebrating upstart quarterback versus the old warhorse, right? That the is old. a fantastic point, Big T. I, I, I hadn't even really, thought about that. I'm going to write a think piece about this because I, actually I might, all kidding aside, write about that. because I'm uh, going to write a think piece about your think piece. Write a think about, piece about my think piece, but, but Big R, those characters are, are truly meaningful for us, man. I mean, so much of our are. lives have really, uh, have really paralleled the lives of these characters. I'm going to pray Any for both of you. Sunday. <laughs> Barnabas, have you seen this crappy football movie any given Sunday? I have seen bits of it. Yeah, it's it's like six and a half hours long. Doesn't it have a really, really like just epic coach speech? Yes. yes that's the one that speech yeah. is actually phenomenal. Yeah, that yes, I've watched phenomenal. I've watched that speech a hundred times. I've seen only like age, eighteen man. minutes of the rest I'm of the I'm actually movie. gonna watch the speech as soon as we get off the air. I'm watching it right now. It's changing my life again. Fantastic, as it should. Pipe, do you have a do you have a favorite Super Bowl moment? 
being that my favorite team has never been in the Super Bowl in my lifetime, uh, all of my favorite moments are more just like really memorable things that happen. So like Elway's first Super Bowl win, I wasn't yeah. really an Elway fan, but to see a Hall of Famer get it in you know the last couple of years of his career, oh, um, that was huge. Tom Brady's first Super Bowl win when when he had just taken over and they were sort of that. It was the very first year of what has now become a dynasty, um, yeah. and nobody they were the very unlikely uh, winners, and they had this crummy offense playing against. I think it was the greatest show on turf. It was the Rams, yeah. and uh, and watching them pull out the upset. The the uh, David Tyree catch um, against the Patriots when the Patriots were undefeated. So that that when the Giants beat the Patriots, um, that was uh, that was pretty crazy. You know that helmet catch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and then and then uh, like Roethlisberger's throw to Santonio San Holmes in the back corner of the end zone against the Cardinals. Just the perfection of that play was just such an amazing, incredible. Hyper, wow, that's a photographic memory that you're sporting there. Well, this this that's what sports does. Like it creates photo, like just these photo images, things. Like I don't remember most of what happened in any of those games. I only sure. remember specific sort of moments that that happened. But those all stand out as just the those things that, and they're especially great because they happen in the Super Bowl. In Barnabas, the, what was your favorite? Uh, what was your favorite Super Bowl um, food item of the last ten years? Oh man, um, you know I'm just not a picky eater, which means I appreciate anything that anybody brings besides like Doritos. Um, <laughs> no, I was at I was at one where there was a large platters of barbecue ribs. That's uh, which is one of my favorite foods. So no complaints there. Um, nice. Yeah, it, basically anything that somebody makes instead of buys. I'm I appreciate the effort and I will eat it with relish. You know, fellas, I think my favorite Super Bowl moment is every time that I've skipped evening church to watch it. <laughs> Here, here's a dynamic that I struggle with in the Reformed Church, man. So these Reformed churches, they seem to make it sort of like a hill to die on that they're not going to bow to the culture by canceling evening church on Super Bowl Sunday. So they make you go at six o'clock, you know, right when the game starts and have like an hour and a half of church just to show, to prove to the world that they're not bowing to the culture. That's right. Um, and and to, to the point about our dear friend Mark Sayers, the author of Disappearing Church, our sponsor, mm-hmm. the opposite of cultural relevance is not intentional irrelevance, church. So church during the Super Bowl. Dude, not, and the way the, the way that you tied that back into the promo, guys, this has been uh, this has been good radio. This has been a, a, a really nice app, man. And I want to thank uh, our boys at Resonate Recordings for uh, making this all possible. And by making it all possible, I mean uh, taking our audio and doing some things to it and making it sound good. Uh, so thanks as always to those guys. Guys, we have uh, we have wandered to and fro as we've been known to do on this program. Uh, so until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take, but I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.